Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. It's important. It's how we respond. And in this particular case with Bering, Leeson responded trying to pull it out, trying to make something good, but just did it the wrong way. The question for us this morning is how do we respond to money that's been given to us, that we've earned, that we have? As we look at this text this morning, I want to point out a couple of things before we get there. First of all, I want you to know this. James is, this is the moment in James's letter that he addresses non-believers. All these words are talking to people who are not a part of the church, who don't have a faith in Christ. And you might say, well, why are we, why would James take some time out of a letter that he writes to the church to address people outside the church who aren't even in the church? And the answer to that is really simple. It's because what James wants to do is help the church understand what's going on out in the world so that it doesn't come into the church. Understand these principles of what you're seeing played out by these people so that it doesn't come into the church. And we know over time that culture has affected the church. No longer does the church affect culture, but culture affects the church. And so James wants us to understand this principle. And so as you listen to these words, as you hear them this morning, understand James is talking about those who are lost and the way they manage their money. But his point is, don't be like them. So if you have your Bibles and you're at James chapter 5, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's holy word? Beginning in verse 1. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the misery that are are coming on you. Your wealth has rotten, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasures in the last days. Look! The pay that you have withheld from the workers who mow your fields and cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters are reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxurious on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in the days of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Let's pray together. Almighty God, today would you just uh, speak and may your word penetrate our heart. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Here's the big idea I want you to catch this morning. Uh, The key to healthy Christian living is a continual submission to God's word in every aspect of our life. Even our view of money. We have to constantly have this submission to God's word in every aspect of our life if we want to be healthy in our living. And that even comes to our money. So James writes this letter and he wants to talk about the rich people. Now before we go down that path, let me me just say this. The Bible never 
never condemns money. In fact, the Bible doesn't say the root of all evil is money. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. In fact, as we look through the scriptures, we find people who have been very rich. Uh, people like Abraham. Abraham was, was a wealthy person. Job was a wealthy person. David was a wealthy person. You get to the New Testament, Lydia was a wealthy person. And so the Bible never speaks about wealth in that you shouldn't have it. It's just the matter of how do you react and respond with the money that you have. So let me point out two things we find in our text that we need to be cautious about. And then let me give you a, a perspective on what we should see when it comes to our money. First thing I want you to catch from our text is money can lead you to do foolish things. Money can lead you to do foolish living. Can lead you to foolish living. That's how I wrote it. Foolish living. When you look at this text, we find right out of the gate there's this conversation that, that James is having. It's a conversation with, with these people in which they are living a life foolishly. They've, they've lavished on themselves. They've, they've enjoyed what they have. But sometimes we can, we can get caught up in those types of things. Sometimes we can get caught up to the point where as we're caught up, it's all about the money and not about the living. Easter Sunday morning, 1976. There's a woman living in, in West Palm Beach by the name of Bertha. Bertha Adams was her name. She, uh, she died Easter Sunday morning. When they arrived to her place, it was a pig's pen. 1976, we hadn't come up with the term hoarding yet, but she was well into hoarding. House was a disarray, a pig pen. Uh, the coroner's report talks about how, how nasty it was, how, how, how she lived her life. She lived her life begging her neighbors for food. She wore clothes that she would find at Goodwill or... Salvation Army, anything she could get. It, she died, the coroner's report says she died of maltrition. They thought this was just a, a woman who was a widow, neglected, and just died of hunger. Days after her death, they were in her uh, house trying to go through the garbage, and through that garbage, they found two keys. Two keys to two different banks, to two different bank deposit boxes. Now they, they go to one of the bank deposit boxes and open that bank deposit box. And all of a sudden they realize she has over 700 bonds from AT&T stock certificates. Not only did she have 700 of AT&T, she had hundreds of others in that box along with $200,000 cash in that one bank deposit box. They take the second key and they go to the other bank and they find that there's no stocks or bonds in that bank deposit box, but there's $600,000 cash. Bertha Adams had well over a million dollars when she died. But she loved money more than anything else. She hoarded that money to the point that 
Her life was miserable, and yet she had more money than most people can imagine. Money can lead us to do foolish things. Money can cause us to, to want more and more and, and miss life. Money can, can take us down paths that we never thought possible. Who would have thought that Bertha had so much money that she could have done whatever she wanted? She could have lived life and never have missed a meal. But the love of money stashed away led her to her death. James writes in this text, tells us that there are foolish things. And he gives us some, some real insight to what's going to happen. First of all, we're going to be judged. You will face judgment. He writes in this text and he tells us, weep and wail, you people of wealth. In other words, there's this idea of, there's of wailing to the point that what you're doing in this moment should cause you to weep because judgment is coming upon you. You're coming to a place where you will experience the judgment. Now here's the thing, we're all going to experience judgment at some point. No one in this room is going to escape judgment. But the question is, how will we be judged? What will we be judged on? Will we be judged on our love of money? Money will not get us out of that judgment. But the second thing is, we see in this text, is that your, your money will give a witness of your heart. Money's going to give a witness to your heart. Notice what he says there. He tells us in, in verse 3. He says, your gold and your silver are corroded. This very wealth that you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. Corroded treasure. You have hoarded it and will testify against you on the day of judgment. Catch that. Your treasure has hoarded and will testify against you on the day of your judgment. We see judgment in this text. We see James reminding us that it will eat away like fire. There's coming a moment when we will stand before the Father and have to give an account for how we respond and how we take what he has given us. Whether it's all about us or about what he's given so we can give back. Remember, James is, is preaching to the church. His letter is to the church. Don't be like these people. They are foolish in the way they live. They are foolish in how they're doing it. Which leads me to the second point I want you to catch in this text. Money can lead you to selfish living. Money can lead you to selfish living. We can come to places in our life and we can find ourselves living selfishly, making it all about us. Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Sometimes we think it's just the opposite. James in this text points out uh, three things. Let me, let me share you. Look at verse 4. Look, 
Pay attention that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cry out and the outcries of the harvest has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. And thus, in other words, James says, you've acted unjustly. You've acted unjustly. Your actions there has caused you to miss the point. When we act unjustly, it becomes all about us. The workers are crying out. The people are longing. The people are wanting. But the rich don't care. They only want what's in their pocket. Look at verse 5 with me. You've lived luxuriously on the earth. You've indulged yourself. You have fattened your hearts in the days of slaughter. You come to the point. You've not only acted unjustly, you've acted extravagantly. When we we live selfishly, we're unjust. We live extravagantly. We worry about what we can get. We want more. It's all about what makes us feel good. How much more we can get. Look at verse 6. He says this. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Here's the kicker. The rich of these days were not actually committing murder. The word there in in Aramaic and the Greek is a great sin, a great uh, persecution, a great injustice. And so what it does is it causes you to act ruthlessly. It causes you to act ruthlessly. It causes you to come to a point in your life where you're not worried about, what some, about somebody else. You're only worried about what you can get for yourself. James points to the church, don't be like these people. They are all about themselves. And the thing is, he tells them, you see it. You know it. You've been the one who's been unjustly You've been the harvester. You've been the one who's needed help. So, how do we respond to money? What is it we do? What, how do we live our life in light of money? Now remember, money's not the root of evil. The love of money is. So, how do we, what perspective should we have when it comes to money? Well, number three, here's what I want you to see. Money must be held in the right view. Money must be held in the right view. We come to First Chronicles. D- David writes these words. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor of the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are to be exalted as the head over all. Riches and honor come from you. And you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand. And it is in your hand to make great and give strength to to all. David gives us three indications here. The first one is God owns everything. God owns everything. Do you realize that everything that you have is a gift from God? 
You're able to afford the house you live in, the clothes on your back, the car that you drive. It's a gift from God. He owns it all. He provides. When we begin to see money with the right attitude, we begin to realize it's God's. I've just got it on loan. I've just got it for a short period of time. It's what I'm supposed to do with it is what matters. The second thing we find is God gives everything. He gives everything. He's the one who, who provides. David recognizes in these verses that everything he had came from God. He owns it, he gives it. And not only does he give it, but he could take it away. He can bring you to your knees if we misuse it. If we look over history and look in the scriptures, we find that there were moments when the people of Israel failed to acknowledge who God is, failed to acknowledge God's gifts, failed to realize that he owns everything and gives everything. And so they took matters into their own hands. And every time they did, God said, well, that's enough of that. And he would allow someone, some other nation to come in and take over, take control, and bring them to a point of dependence upon him. And bring them to a point where they needed him. So God owns everything. God gives everything. And thirdly, God rules over everything. He rules over everything. He has it in his hands. He knows what's going on. Nothing you can do to hide. You might, you might hide things. Listen, I, I hid. I said this one time. I, I, uh, was our I'm in trouble now. I thought of this illustration just now. I thought this would be a great one. Now I can't remember a certain key element of it, and it's important. It was one of our anniversaries, or coming up on our anniversary. Let me just get on. Maybe I'll save myself out of this hole. Pam and, Pam's diamond had, had lost a couple um, um, prongs to it. So she'd quit wearing it for some time, and so I knew where she hid it so she wouldn't lose it. So I, I, I sneak it out. She doesn't know I've got it. And I go to the jeweler, and I said, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to, you know, it's an anniversary or coming up on an anniversary. I'd like to, to, to get her diamond fixed, maybe even change it or something. And so I worked out a deal with the jeweler. So they, they called me and said, it's done. So I came in to pay for it. I opened my wallet and uh, thought I knew exactly how much it was paid for. And she goes, oh, no, you still owe, I don't remember, it wasn't much, but you still owe some money on it. And I said, oh, well, I'll be right back. She says, what do you mean you'll be right back? I've got to go get some cash and pay for that. She says, we'll take your card. No, you won't. She said, what do you mean? I said, my wife doesn't know what I've done. She doesn't even know how much I've spent. I don't want her to know. I'm, I'm using my secret stash. What do you mean, secret stash? Ma'am, do you have a husband? Yes. I promise he's got a secret stash someplace. You mean 
I said, I don't know your husband, but I got a secret stash and I'm paying with this out of my secret stash so she doesn't know that I have it. I've got to go home and see my husband. I need to know if he's got a secret stash. Well, yeah, there might be more than one, you know. Here's the thing. You can't hide your money from God. He gave it to you. He owns it. He rules over it. It's a matter of how you are responding to it. How do you see your money? How does it, how does it affect your life? Does it rule over your life? Are you somebody who, who has to look every, every day at the stock market? What's your investment doing? Money is one of those things that nobody likes to talk about, but everybody secretly wants more and wants to know how much somebody else has. I read this joke this week. I don't typically end with a joke, but I thought it fit. It's a young man who bought him a BMW. He was enjoying his car, riding around, racing it around. I thought he'd take it out on this windy road and see, see what it would do. He lost control of the car. As he loses control on this mountain windy road, he realizes he has to bail out of the car to save his life. So he bails out of the car. What he does, he severs his left arm. And as he bails out of the car, he no longer has his left arm. And he's standing there on the side of the road screaming, my BMW, my BMW, my BMW. A man behind him had stopped and said, son, you got bigger problems than that. You've severed your left arm. And he looks down and goes, oh, no, my Rolex, my Rolex, my Rolex. <laughs> it, it's funny because that's how we think of things. We get so caught up with more material things than we, than we get caught up with God. When we have the right attitude and we realize that he's the giver, he owns it all. Our attitude is, God, what do you want me to do? How can I make much of you with what you've given me? I promise you can't outgive God. You can't outgive him. So why don't just we stop looking about what we can get and start thinking about how we can out, how we can give. James cautions the church. Don't go down that path. Get the right attitude and the right heart. This morning, do you have your right heart and attitude? I realize it's, as I said, if you'd have known, maybe you wouldn't have come, but the Bible has a lot to say about money. And everything it has to say is, what heart and attitude do you have when it comes to it? Would you stand with me?